Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsug for another edition of the show that goes inside the world of ice and fire. Whether it's looking back on HBO's Game of Thrones, looking ahead to the prequel series, the one we think might be called Blood Moon or The Longest Night or The Night of Long Nights that's under the Blood Moon, we're figuring all that out. Plus, talking about the books, what's coming, and news, stories, speculations and re-speculations the what-ifs of the big series that finally wrapped up this past year a lot to talk about and i know game of thrones even if you were just show only and the show's done you you can't just drop it and leave it yeah there's other great programming to watch other great books to read you start studying wheel of time get ready for hbo's uh, or excuse me amazon's uh, lord of the ring series as they try to be HBO in that regard. Uh, yeah, but you can't just leave a friend. can't leave family. That's what HBO's Game of Thrones is. So we're, we're having a lot of fun looking back, and that's what we're doing right now. But pretty soon, man, we're going to start hearing more and more about that prequel pilot, when it's coming out, and we'll have trailers and more photos, leaked stuff we'll try to avoid, but you can't stop looking at all those things coming on. Uh, but right now, I want to talk about some news We've got a couple calls, one in response to last week's question of what if Obrin had killed the mountain? Would he have gone after Tywin? We've been working with that one for actually a couple weeks now. And then another call uh, from our good friend Eric Monroe about a potential king in Westeros that never came to be. I do want to read the news. A couple things. Uh, D23, Disney's big uh, hat-on-the-back convention, and it's fun. I've been there before. Didn't go this year. Uh, you know, it, it's a convention. A lot of Disney. A lot of Disney. Uh, one of the things uh, to be revealed in it is that Jon Snow himself, Kit Harrington, will be in the MCU. When he's part of the Eternals, I know you know me. I am not a huge MCU fan. I, I can't say I'm a fan. I have enjoyed every movie I've seen of theirs. I've only seen them one time other than the first Iron Man. I'm a Star Wars guy. I'm a Lord of the Rings guy. I'm a Game of Thrones guy. Not so much an MCU, but I'm excited. Is uh, casting Kit Harrington crossing over. Uh, joining Richard Madden, his on-screen half-brother. They'll be, uh, he'll be, uh, well, that's not true, really. <laughs> uh, his family, uh, by some sort of blood. Uh, I guess the Stark blood. All right, they're close. Kit is joining Richard Madden and the Eternals, uh, a lot of other actors, and he's going to be the Black Knight. Now, this is not the show to dive into what is the Black Knight or the casting, other than the same. This is pretty big news. This is his first major step outside of Game of Thrones. Yeah, he had, what, what was that movie, Pompeii? Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. This is his chance, and, and a lot of the performers have taken some of these steps. Amelia Clark, whether it's Solo or the Terminator franchise, 
Me Before You. Is that the one? Is that the Be Here Now? Or what, what, what is the sad romantic one she was in? Plus the Christmas one or something she's got coming out. Sophie Turner, we know, stepped up. Maisie Williams. Uh, but Peter Dinklage, Lena Headey, and uh, others, you know, Charles Dance and any of those big ones have been around doing other things, had some sort of level of notoriety, fame, and uh, a lot of just solid working UK actors. But Kit Harrington is, we'll say, the star of Game of Thrones. Jon Snow, it's partially his story, Song of Ice and Fire. We follow him from the beginning all the way to the very end. A lot of other stars, it's definitely an ensemble. Don't get me wrong, I don't think you are, but Jon Snow, Kit Harrington, at the forefront, has been from the beginning. So his first foray outside of Westeros... A lot of those spotlights going to be on it. Now, I'm sure he's probably already, already shot some little things. He'll probably have an indie project. He'll, you know, I know he's, uh, I think, producing, directing some stuff. There was a, a series. I know all that. But in general, people aren't keeping tabs of that. They want the big thing. So I'm excited that it's the MCU. Though, uh, putting a little bit of uh, sadness on that, because I was really actually hoping he would cross over into Star Wars. We know he wanted to. That's not to say he couldn't. He very well could if Dan and David are having making a series, whether they're writing one movie, writing a treatment for all of them, directing one. I, the news is always changing in that. We don't know the truth of what will end up happening with the Benioff and Weiss Star Wars. But I imagine they're going to bring some people over. I imagine they're going to reach into their hip pocket of people they've worked with. I hope Raman Jawadi gets to do some Star Wars music. And Kit, very vocal about wanting to be in a Star Wars picture. Or a Star Wars project. It still could happen. Obviously. But this is a big headline grabbing role. And I'm excited for him. And I hope he can stretch out. I think he grew as an actor. It's easy to say he was just a brooding, a good looking man in the beginning there. But I think he grew as an actor. I think season seven and eight, where a lot of pressure was on him and Amelia Clark, I think they both really stepped up as performers, really brought something to it. And, and it worked for me and a lot of people there. So I think he can do it. And he's got, I think Kit's got some star quality in that classic sense of the word. I really do. But it's going to be hard for all these performers to do anything in that post-Game of Thrones life, even if you had an extensive resume before. Pity poor Charles Dance, who I think has a good sense of humor about it, even though he always does come, come across as stern. Stephen Delane, probably, he's over it. Charles Dance, I think he understands. I think he loved playing Tywin. Uh, and he's had a long career before. Uh, so he can, he can slip into other things as needed. I, think, I don't think Lena Headey's worried about it. She's a great performer, had a great career. Uh, I think she, Lena Headey reminds every every time you see her, especially if you like follow her on Instagram, she seems to have a very well-balanced life. You know what I mean? Uh, as do a lot of these performers. The focus, though, will be on the younger cast, Sophie Turner, Maisie Williams, and Amelia Clark, Kit Harrington, to, to really, hey, what are you doing next? Are you going to be a long-term star? a long-term working performer, or is this just going to be, hey, remember when that person was big and they never heard from him again? That's not always fair, though. That's These people are in the spotlight. We see them every week on these shows. We, we do these shows, these podcasts, and we read these books, and we write our own things, and we really get into these characters, and then we don't see them as much anymore, so we think they faded away. That's not necessarily the case. But with the young stars, there's going to be a little bit of pressure, and I want them all to succeed. You go to Star Wars... Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. 
there are three different paths. Harrison Ford becomes one of the biggest stars in the world. Carrie Fisher focuses on writing. It has some problems. A Hollywood tragic tale, but a very inspirational one if you choose to look at it that way. And then, of course, Mark Hamill. Fades away, right? I remember growing up, oh, yeah, what happened to Mark? What happened to Luke Skywalker? He's not doing much anymore. He goes on and becomes one of the best voice actors in the business before that was even something that was real popular. There's different ways. And I love that Mark comes back in the spotlight. I love that Carrie got to spend her last couple of years living, feeling the spotlight and, and maybe understanding her true legacy and influence. And then Harrison's Harrison. Flying his plane up and down the coast, being wonderfully curmudgeonly grumpy, happy when he's stoned, <laughs> appearing on talk, show, talk shows, which is the one toke over the line. You got happy Harrison. Different careers, different, different times. We'll see what happens with these leads. I think Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams uh, are well on their way. We'll see what happens with Maisie uh, and some of her uh, roles. I think Sophie Turner came, came out of the box first. Amelia Clark again already. And stepped out. I, I know the Terminator uh, geniuses, as we used to always joke about on, on Schmoes. I know that didn't hit. But I think a lot of people like what she did with Kira. And I love Solo. Actually, I really enjoy the movie Solo. And I really enjoy the movie, uh, the character Kira in that movie. I think Millie did really good with it, with the change of directors. There seemed to be, if you read between the lines, a lot of problems. Uh, maybe, I don't want to use her problems just she she seemed to be the most vocal if you read between the lines on on uh, lord miller and the and the need for a change and and ron howard uh, working with her real closely and giving a real solid direction with the character and i think she did good and i think she added some layers there that you can explore in some of the other writings in star wars and that's why i really like the character so i think billy clark's gonna be just fun also she she's so poppy she's you look at her talk about a well-rounded life Look at her in interviews, always laughing, always giggling, always uh, seems to have a, a good out- outlook on the world. And pe- she's got that energy. She's a star as well. Kids next up, can the brooding star take his skills and charisma, his brooding charisma to the MCU? I think that's a great spot to be. Less pressure. He's not leading it. This isn't a Black Knight picture. It's the Eternals, and he's part of it. And it's also interesting to have Richard Madden there. Madden, of course, leaves Game of Thrones earlier than a lot of his other names at the end of season three. He does that Cinderella movie. And he kind of fades away, right? You think. You think. He's not. Ends up winning an award. Shows up on TV shows. Brings some depth to his performances. And now I think he has successfully stepped out from under the Game of Thrones shadow. I think Richard Madden, not just because he won a war, I think he showed some range, something a little different, clean-shaven at times. We'll see, we'll see how Kit handles that. And I think Richard Madden, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, I applaud him. I think there's a good template for stepping out of this Game of Thrones thing, not stepping into the spotlight. I don't think Amelia Clark had a choice. Uh, Sophie Turner leading a, a maligned X-Men movie. I don't think she had a choice. You had to take those big roles. But I like what Kit's doing. This is a smart plan to me. He's going to be part of something. And I think that is going to help him continue to move forward, move out of the shadow, and build a solid career. So we'll see. And I hope, I still hope, he can be a lightsaber-wielding character. 
Jedi or Sith or something other in between. I'd like to see that. What do you guys think? Are you excited about Kit Harrington in the MCU? Let us know here, Casterly Talk. I want to get your thoughts and opinions on that one. Other news, I saw this one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go into the headlines here. I don't want to be one of those troll hunters or clickbait fighters. I get the business. I get what's going on. You got to get your clicks. You got to get your views. And you say something controversial or you write an article and your editor changes it changes the title to something catchy and controversial. So I'm not throwing any blame on anyone who wrote these articles. I'm particularly reading one from Digital Spy written by Dan Sidon. Sidon? Almost like a Star Wars character there. Sidon. Um, so it is. I want to make that clear. I'm not throwing any barbs. I'm just saying let's look at closer this headline. And these headlines going around are that Gwendolyn Christie is angry about what happened to Brienne. And that is already being spinned, and you could spin it into, oh, yeah, another performer hates the thing I hate. If you didn't like season eight, I mean, really, didn't like season eight, like Last Jedi level, and you're out there trying to flip it around and, and, and use actors' reactions to their characters' deaths, whether in table read videos or tweets or Instagram posts. If you want to read between lines, and it's always an option, and some of that can be true, you can form a case against Dan and David. You can form a case against the show you used to love. I don't know why you do that. I think we're here to enjoy this thing, and that includes the warts and the cuts and the bruises that are always going to be present on creative projects. So the headline could read, Gwendolyn Christie, angry at what happened to Brienne. Or this headline from Digital Spy in this article by Dan Sedant, Game of Thrones' Gwendolyn Christie reveals the moment where she felt angry, quotations, for character Brienne. Let's actually read the quote given here. She was speaking to Deadline, so let's give Deadline that credit there. The uh, actress explained how uh, this juxtaposition between the scenes, Brienne being knighted, Megan love with Jamie and him then leaving left her feeling, quote, incredibly upset about it on the character's behalf. She added, I did feel angry for the character in that moment. But what was brilliant is that she goes straight back to work and ultimately she supersedes her ambition. I was also thrilled about it as an actor because it meant getting to use some real acting muscles. That is key. The context Everything. Everything when you put it on the table. She's not mad at Dan and David. She's not mad at the show. She's not tossing it under the the bus. She's saying, I was invested in this character. A character I've played since the second season of Game of Thrones that I had hopes and dreams for. I didn't know where they were going to take it, and this shows up. And we have perhaps one of the greatest moments in the show, her being knighted. We have what a lot of people wanted to see, her and Jamie getting together. And then she's absolutely heartbroken. And we're heartbroken with her. As we should be. That's good storytelling. That's pulling us in. The controversial decision of Jamie to go back to Cersei. Oh, we can pick it apart. Absolutely. Absolutely we can pick it apart. But I love picking it apart, as you all know, for the point of looking at a documentary about what happened in Westeros. And trying to figure out why would, why would Jamie do that? Trying to understand it. Try to accept it. Not to look at it and go, oh, what a failure on the part of the storytellers. I just don't think that's the case. It actually made a lot of sense. It made a ton of sense. And if you're hurt by it, 
well, that's not fun, especially by a show you loved. But this is, to me, Brand's arc is actually one of the most pure Game of Thrones arcs there is. She is one of those broken things that Tyrion talks about, that this show is very much about. Stands out above the crowd for all the wrong reasons growing up. And eventually, all those wrong reasons become the reasons that we love the character and that the character finds some sort of justice and finds her place in this moment where she's knighted. Absolutely, again, one of the best moments in the show. And I know she kind of worked to get herself nominated for the Emmy. That I don't know the whole story of. That could be a lot of various different reasons for happening. Uh, award campaigning for awards is uh, is something that uh, I don't have the time or all of the knowledge on this podcast to discuss, but it's not always pretty, not always straightforward. So she did it herself. Well, that's Brienne. Well, and Christie is Brienne. So I think, too, we can get hurt for her. And Gwendolyn was as well. Hurt for the character. Angry for the character. And those aren't the things you're going to read in the headlines. You're just going to read Gwendolyn and Christie angry with decisions made in Game of Thrones Season 8. Mark Hamill angry with what happened to Luke Skywalker. You you won't hear on these supercuts of him uh, disparaging the movie. You won't hear him going. But then eventually I accepted it. Eventually understood. Eventually understand it's not just my character. Gwendolyn Christie got to dig in, got to act, as did Mark Hamill with Luke Skywalker. Arguably his best performance as Skywalker. She got to dig in and use that anger, use that betrayal, use that hurt and suffering for something. And she she pulled a brand herself, like I said, probably hurt and upset that no one helped her get nominated for an Emmy after she gave the performance of a lifetime. She did it herself. That's something Brand would do. And I think that's something we should learn. As she says again, what was brilliant is that she, Brand of Tarth, goes straight back to work and ultimately she supersedes her ambition. She at one point, I don't think always, but at one point wants Jamie Lannister. And it's his love. I think it's a real love. It's a real connection. There absolutely is a connection. But haven't you ever at your point in life wanted something or someone wanted to be in a relationship and then happens and you think, well, I was wrong. This isn't for me. Or you're all in and you get hurt. You get disappointed. You get angry. And it turns out to be the best thing for you. I've had that in professional situations, relationships in the past as well. And I think that's all part of this story. We wanted Brienne to have a happily ever after ending. And a lot of us looked at Jamie and said, that's the ending we want for both of them. It's not the ending those characters got. It's not the ending maybe those characters wanted. Jamie Lannister didn't want that in the end. He probably made a mistake. He made a fatal mistake. Or he died the way he wanted to die. Bran got her heart broken. And it broke our hearts. And she was better for it. So, go beyond the headlines to see what people are really putting out there. I think a lot of people take these articles 
and they dump them into their 17-minute ranty YouTube videos about what went wrong with seasons and characters and episodes. And some of that is insightful stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love looking at it, too. But I just derive so much more joy from this property I love. Looking at them, looking at these characters as living, breathing characters. And life doesn't go perfect for them. And I think that's one of the things we all really, really fell in love with about Game of Thrones early on. Whether it's book or show. Ned's head goes. We go, oh no, this is something different. It's real. So why at the end, when some of the decisions were very real, do we reject them then? Stuff to think on. Sound like a professor in a low-lit room with a pipe and a bathrobe. I mean, I do have a bathrobe on, just not the pipe. We're going to take a quick break, and then your calls, some calls on the end. And remember, if you would like to call in, just go to the Anchor app or anchor.fm slash Talk. Leave a message. Respond. We want to hear from you. Maybe you don't agree. Uh, maybe you don't know if Kit Harrington going to MC was good. Or maybe you have a what if. I want to hear about it. It is Casterly Talk. We'll be back after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here on Casterly Talk. The Casterly Talk Game of Thrones NPR first segment is over. I felt I got whispering. You okay with that? Okay, I'll whisper some more. Game of Thrones ASMR. That's not a whispering isn't isn't what ASMR is only about. Okay, here we go. Getting back to your calls on the show. We've been talking what ifs. As the show's over, we can look back and go, all right, what if? Some of them are easy to answer. Some of them really fun to answer. Some are just complicated and, and make me think. And and sometimes I just, I might get it wrong. But that's the fun thing about what ifs. You, you can't be wrong. This is wild and fun speculation. We're looking back trying to imagine it all on a different path. So, we had put one out recently about Ober Martell. He kills the mountain. He doesn't, he doesn't get all wrapped up in vengeance and die. He kills the mountain. What does he do? Does he kill Tywin? It's possible he kills him right there. It's possible, I think, a war between Dorne and the North, or at least King's Landing and, and Tywin and his armies could have happened. Or Oberyn could have done it another way. So let's talk to our friend Kevin over at Three Cocktail Questions. An interesting show to follow here on Anchor. He's got a response. Hi, Ken. This is Kevin Ross. I want to address um, my own version of what hap- what I would have thought happened when Oberyn Martell survived the trial of combat and ended up successfully killing the mountain. I don't believe Oberyn would have 
killed uh, Tywin with a spear, I believe he already did. There's a prevailing fan theory, and one I subscribe to, that Oberyn Martell had the means, motives, and opportunity to poison Tywin with something called the Widow's Blood. It's described in the books as shutting down a man's bladder and bowels until he drowns in his own poisons. What do I think would have happened? I think he would have been gloating the entire time. I think he would have thrown a massive feast celebrating his family. I think he would have been, been slandering uh, the um, Lannister name all over the city. And then as he sees the signs of the poisoning progressing, taking his family and leaving. And a few days later, Tywin ends up dying of natural causes, fulfilling the obligation to his family. Thank you. All right, Kevin. I like this idea. I kind of like this idea. It does fit in to Oberyn. The anger that I'm talking about fits in with Oberyn, too, of like, you know, he gets overwhelmed with his vengeance and, and, and passion on the scene of, of the fight, and it costs him his life. Well, what if he used that to kill Tywin right then and there? But I, I, I like this idea of a big party. Uh, and, yeah, maybe the poison's already there. Oberyn is very tactical, too. The fact that I don't think it's just been some Dornish tradition that they laced the spears with poison. I think I think uh, uh, it was part of a plan, too. If I go down, at least I know I got him. I win either way. So I think he would have been one step ahead. A Dornish party sounds just great. Almost as if it was to uh, rub it in even more to Tywin. You could just see Tywin stewing. Not stewing in that Cersei way. It's not a bad way. You know, I love the character of Cersei. And clearly she gets her revenge. But like Tywin just like, he knows he can't do anything about it right here, but he'll find a way. He'll start sending letters to people in Dorne. But Ober might be that, that way as well. There would be a clash at some point. Would Tywin want to, not waste, but use resources to defeat Oberyn? In, in the field of battle or go against Dorne, I don't think Tywin would. That's why I think Tywin would combat it with these letters, the same letters he used to set up the Red Wedding. Um, I uh, I think you do that. But Oberyn, it depends uh, it, it, it depends on what mood. Again, I, it's, it's, it's a hard mood to read. Is it, um, is, is the Oberyn who writes a, a poem? You know, that, that the, 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 the poet Oberyn writing to his daughters? Thoughtful, taking his time, or the one who's just angry? Who gave you the order? Who did it? Those two Oberyns can sometimes collide. Tywin, though, is always pretty, pretty even. It seems to me the only time Tywin, and we're going to do, we're going to talk a lot more about Tywin with Andres Cabrera uh, very soon on an episode of Casterly Talk. We both love that character, and I really do think Tywin is an example of great leadership. Bad parenting, but great leadership in the sense of if you just look at the goals of the game. I'm not saying I'd want to work for him or that he did things nice and he wasn't an evil man. But in the world of ice and fire where you have these kind of these goals, take the throne, keep your legacy, keep your family. Tywin wins time and time again. And there's a lot of little layers and, and differences, uh, different things about Tywin that I love. So we're going to talk about that. But, but I, I just the idea of, of Tywin and Oberyn, I, it's 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 a fight. That's a what if. We'll never get the answer for. But I love that, uh, Kevin. Appreciate your thoughts there on that one. We got this uh, great what if. I've thought about this what if before. 
I'm so glad Eric called in with this one. Hey, Ken Castro talks. I would never what if that it, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain of where it would go if it happened. And I'm curious what everyone thinks. So my what if is what if Carl Drogo never got hurt and never died? How does that alter the story of those dragon eggs? Do you think even if that didn't happen at some point, the eggs that some they would have hatched by be it the Lord of Light's will or whatever you want to call it. And also, you know, how does this change the story? Because, you know, Carl Drogo did promise Danny after the failed assassination temper on her life that he was going to give their son the throne that uh, his grandfather, Danny's child, once once sat on. And is there a possibility if somehow, some way they, they conquered together that Carl Drogo becomes king? You know, they take the throne, Danny's queen, they're married. Does Carl Drogo become king? Mm, does Carl Drogo actually take that steel chair, that iron chair that he talks about? That's a that's one of the great moments. Season one. Look, season one still might be my favorite season of Game of Thrones. It is it is nearly perfect. You know what I mean? In a lot of shape ways, shapes, and form there. Uh it's impossible to keep up to that standard. Plus it's so new to uh, to a lot of people at the time. I think that's why always earlier stuff sometimes you gravitate to. But that moment. Danny eating a horse uh, early on, and then the, the assassination attempt, and then her brother being a pill, <laughs> to put it lightly. I just love that moment, all leading to Cal Drogo just pumping his fist and punching his chest and saying, I will deliver the throne to you and my son. And we know it doesn't work out that way. And we know that they couldn't get over right away. So... To answer the question of would Kyle be king, would Drogo be a cow and a king? I I think I go first to the journey, the journey through Slaver's Bay. I still think in some way, shape, or form that would have to happen. As much as Drogo wants to go over, they don't have the ships and he's got to convince his own people to follow him. They weren't always on board with Danny, as we saw early on, and it led to his undoing large part so i think that would still have to happen but then of course the question of the dragon eggs yeah danny gets all this power in large part because she comes into her own but and gets focused on what she wants but the dragons are the nuclear weapon option even as as little dragon pups people look at them like oh no that's that's trouble we got to get our hands on those while we can because pretty soon they're going to burn us alive and eat us and she knows it too. I will burn cities to the ground. She's saying that very early on when the dragons can barely puff smoke. So she'd need those. An army of Dothraki is pretty powerful. And at the time, before, you know, the dragons didn't factor into any of the uh, Targaryen restoration ideas. Lyrio Mopatis, Viserys, Spider, none of these fine folks were thinking, well, we'll get some dragons that'll help us. No, that pops up. That pops up because of what happens. So I guess the first question is, does does the trade Danny makes, which backfires on her, does that, is that, does that uh, need to happen for the dragons to come around? She's got the eggs, right? She's got them. I don't know if I can answer that question. I think Eric's right. 
some other red priestess comes along. Uh, Lord of Light does some magic. I don't know. Does it is does the Lord of Light need that for that that plan? Yeah, I get, yeah, it does. And the dragons don't come back. Magic uh, isn't back in full force. Uh, Piet Pri doesn't start getting more powers than parlor tricks. Uh, uh, but again, we don't want to get bogged down in those what ifs. Uh, out of what ifs, <laughs> things happen for a reason in the stories. But let's just assume she does get the dragons in some form. An angry, motivated Drogo with his Dothraki horde rallying behind him. I'm sure he'd get some defectors and some dissenters. And then dragons at the head of that. Now, Danny had her hordes and she had basically all the Dothraki hordes that, uh, after she goes and, and, and kills the other uh, calls. But I think so, Drogo is the one, right? He's number one in the depth chart. Maybe he could have united the other cow, uh, cows uh, without bloodshed. Uh, I think something like that would have happened. But I still think they need the resources, the ships, the actual ships. And I think they'd have to go get that. Uh, and they'd still have to make the journey to Slaver's Bay. And then the battle to me becomes, does Drogo's sense of, eh, we just conquer cities, man. We take their sheep and their women. Does that sit well with Danny? No, it doesn't. She starts to become a breaker of chains. Drogo, I think it would have been an interesting character growth. One I think he was capable of wasn't just learning new ways to have sex. Uh, I think Drogo was learning a lot and was inspired by this woman. That's why a lot of people gravitated to their love story. Or where it goes. Uh, where it ends, it's heartbreaking. But where it goes, they were affecting each other. It was true growth in a weird Song of Ice and Fire way. I think she could have convinced him, we need to free these slaves. It's not on Drogo's mind, you know? I don't think he's going around, yeah, it's a good idea. He'd just conquer them all. Let's conquer the cities, take the slaves for our own, and we'll go on the next one. I think she would have had, had to have talked them out of them. But I think also, sadly, because of the inherent sexism in that world, as well as ours, of course, yeah, I think the slavers, upon seeing this little girl in their eyes show up with her little pet dragons, they didn't take her seriously. And that motivated Danny more, and she fed off that motivation, grew past those obstacles. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying if she and Cal Drogo had showed up, they would have been like, oh, we've got a problem. Which also, again, could have stunted Danny's growth. I'm not saying all those horrible things needed to happen to her. And, and bad things happened to her in the end, which we'll get to, but... It would have been a different approach through Slaver's Bay. I think there still would have been battles. I think the battle would have been Danny and Drogo disagreeing over what to do with their conquests. I think in the end she would have won that argument. She would have won that discussion. She would have convinced him. He might have laughed it off at first. Whatever. The moon of my stars wants her free slave warriors. Okay. Well, I think he would have seen it. Drogo was smart. Part of his passion and devotion to her was his undoing, but that, hey, that's, a, that's not a bad thing to be devoted to the person you love. So I think, yeah, it might have been an easier road, but I think they would have got there. And then when they come on over, I don't know, I don't care, I don't know even who would be on Danny's side at that time. Do some of the same players show up? 
Does all that stuff happen with Jor? I, Drogo might have just taken him on and killed him if he felt he betrayed her. Uh, though he knew he believed she, he saved her, you know. Uh, Varys show up as he accepted all those things. Let's just say some of the same players are with Danny. Let's say she gets her ships and she heads on over. She hits those shore, the shores of Dragonstone. A Targaryen returns to Dragonstone. I think all that still happens. But if Drogo's there, I think the the idea of t- taking King's Landing then is more prominent and more possible and more probable. And I don't think Drogo, even after learning and growing, would be keen to play the politics of the land. The old, let's take this city and their sheep and everything else in it for ours. I think that would have won the day, and that would have by then synced up with Danny's desires that, again, might have been changed over the course of the journey. But I think her goal remains the same. And so I think, yes, the battle would have hit the shores and the gates of King's Landing. I don't know if they go north. If Jon Snow shows up, says, I got a more important fight up here, Drogo might be on board if he if he can understand it all and, and grasp it. But if Danny is motivated, I'm not saying Danny only did that because she, her feelings for Jon Snow. I, I, I'm not saying that, but I, I do think that's a, a part of it. So if that's kind of removed, does she go help? Or does the war for the throne of King's Landing even matter at that point? Because maybe the Night King wins and starts moving down. And maybe we get an ice Drogo. Ah, but this is why I love this so much there. So much to dig into. But to the final question, do I think we would have seen a King Drogo? I think at one point, yes. And I think he would have gladly bent the knee to his own wife, to his own queen. Let her rule while he goes and defends the land for her. Would have been interesting. The bigger question, the bigger what if, is would Cal Drogo, now King Drogo, actually put on a shirt? That one, I don't know the answer to. You all can give me your answers and your thoughts on King Drogo and more what ifs. These are really fun. And like I said, I keep saying, my own travel has kind of uh, um, changed the schedule of the show right now. We're still aiming for Saturday morning releases mostly. Uh, but I, uh, a lot of things going on, cool events, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to the Central Coast Film Society for letting me be part of their first large-scale event up at the Clark Center Performing Arts in uh, Royal Grande, California, my hometown. Um, it would have, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and it, 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 it could have gone wrong. Me on a headline, I'm, I'm thinking 10 people are going to show up. 317 people showed up. We watched Star Wars and more events going to come. And that was all due to the wonderful work the Central Coast Film Society. So because of that, though, I was out of town. So this episode's a little late. So I keep saying we're going to get to these episodes where we're going to dive into the characters and I'm going to talk to people about their their feelings and their journey through Game of Thrones. And Andres Cabrera and I are working on a, on a few. Tywin's on the, the charts there. Uh, Oberyn as well. Others on the way. we got a lot of characters talk, to talk about. We have a lot to get into. We all went through something on HBO's Game of Thrones. And it might have ended bitterly for some of you. It might have ended just the way you wanted or you enjoyed it all the way through even with your big questions. Uh, that's what we're also here for. We're going we're gonna to come down together from the show and start getting ready for what's coming down the line. Is that okay? I think so. 
Follow me at Ken Napsuck. Go to KenNapsuck.com for more information, including information on where to buy my book, Why We Love Star Wars. If you're a Star Wars fan and sometimes liking Game of Thrones and Star Wars, do go a little hand in hand. Uh, you can also like Casterly Talk on Facebook or use the hashtag Casterly Talk when talking to me on Twitter so I can find it more easier. All right, that's it for this week. What are your what ifs? I want to hear. All hail, King Drogo. See you next week. Bye.